welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Knock On Podcast, and uh, just returning back from the ATA show. Got to meet several of you out there that are followers of the podcast, and also the show, and the articles, and all that good stuff, so certainly uh, awesome getting to meet everyone. Appreciate everyone stopping by and telling some stories, and letting me know what you like and what you don't like so uh just want to i guess give a shout out to all those guys and um definitely had several truckers come up to me this week and let me know that uh the podcasts keep them going on those long hauls so for all of you out there that are doing that uh this one will be for you guys and we certainly appreciate you uh taking those loads down the road because I often get pallets myself, and you guys are what makes that happen, so I appreciate that. Um, just to give you a little rundown here of the ATA show, it's normally pretty busy for me, so I'm unfortunately not going to be the guy that is able to go around and show you every single thing from every booth. I normally try to get in there before it opens and actually cover a lot of ground without... Uh, kind of getting all the sales pitches and stuff and just pick up things myself and look at them and play with them and uh, just kind of get the obvious and practical side of things and form my own opinion. There were several that I really liked. Um, I posted a few of them on the Facebook pages, but there were a few that I did not uh, have time to film just because either uh, time restraint or uh, the sound was too loud around me so I want to talk about a few of those products quick that I that kind of stuck out in my mind and then I will post um, in an album on the Facebook pages some pictures of those products so one of them that stood out was and I've kind of been seeing the stages of this production come along um, the new Trophy Taker Spring Steel Rest for all of you target archers out there. Uh, this is an awesome rest. It's the If you held it in your hand, how light it is, and if you look at just the design and simplicity of it, it is really taking a rest that I've used more than a decade now and just made so many improvements to it. So I'm really looking forward to... The Spring Steel, the new Trophy Taker Spring Steel Pro Rest to be on the shelf. It'll be available in a micro adjust model and a slide model if you're kind of in a tighter budget. So uh, take a look out for those. I'll post some pics. Uh, one of the next ones was uh, Redneck Blinds actually made um, for any of you who kind of want a permanent blind but um, don't have the budget for uh, the solid green ones, they actually made a steel framed uh, blind that has an actual big cover that goes over it that was really nice. Um, they had two versions, a camo and 
like a shaggy version, almost like a ghillie suit type looking cover. Um, and then from what I've been told, they're actually going to make that same type of uh, ghillie suit type cover for the Bale Blind, which I'm a huge uh, fan of. Um, so for any of you out there who have had the Bale Blinds but want something that you can maybe put a little bit more uh, in the brush or in the timber and have it blend in, that's going to be a good option. Uh, it'll probably have um, less wear and tear from the sun and rain too so that's going to be something to look out for I'm not sure price really on any of this stuff i didn't really have wasn't uh, there with people to ask uh, the next one was uh, muzzy broadheads has a new uh, muzzy hb and it was a hybrid broadhead uh, that's kind of a combination between like a trocar or a phantom and like an expandable um it was really cool looking definitely worth looking up i saw that um i think they had it posted so the muzzy hb is another uh product worth looking at they did make a hypoderm rage made a hypodermic for a crossbow i'm not a crossbow person um at all but uh i am a hypodermic fan so uh, for any of you crossbow people uh, maybe check that out the next thing was UA uh, Under Armour had uh, some really cool footwear that I was kind of sad I hadn't got yet. Um, to be honest with you, a lot of times I see stuff a little bit early. Um, this was a new boot that had a, a really cool material um, on the side of the boot and the sole and the rubber on the front of the boot was um, much different than in on other pairs uh, I really liked the looks of these boots I'm not even familiar with the name but I'll get you a picture of them again I'll post a gallery um, of some of this stuff on the Facebook pages either my personal page if you're one of the 5,000 that are with me on that or the knock on TV page or the John Dudley athlete page um, it'll be on one of those uh, they also brought out their women's Ridge Reaper line which this is going to be really cool there's some awesome products um a lot of ridge reaper stuff happening and uh you know i don't want to come off as a sales pitch but i will say that that pattern is definitely the most um it's the most effective pattern i've ever hunted with there were several times where i was doing spot and stock last year um, with bears with my grizz um, several times with deer going to my stand where they heard me they looked my way like right towards where the sound was but then you could tell when something looks past you almost it, it looked like they were just looking through you they kind of look right at you because they heard the sound but then all of a sudden they just kind of look to the side of you and look to the other side of you and you can tell they're just not seeing you. And that Ridge Reaper Baron pattern was so effective. And actually, um, I was just editing yesterday the episode where I shoot um, some bears up in British Columbia with my mouth tab, which will be coming out here in a few weeks. And seeing that pattern 
in all the different types of elements that I was in, whether it was stalking along the edges of those logging roads or in the slashes or along the edge of the timber. If you watch that episode, um, which I think it's called Jaws and Claws, um, you're going to just see how effective that pattern continually is through all kinds of different countries. So, uh, you know, I'm happy to see a women's line in the Ridge Reaper as well as they had several more um, garments in the new forest pattern, which is the green pattern a lot of people have been kind of raving about. Um, They've got a few new backpacks out, which uh, were definitely something I'm going to look forward to getting. So um, other than that, there was a really small spotting scope um, that was made by an off-brand. I'm typically a Leica fan. Uh, I like Leica products, but this was not. Um, but it was the smallest spotting scope I've ever seen with really good clarity and quality. It would be awesome to take on any type of trip where you're limited on weight or limited on space and you would like to have the option of a spotting scope and it uh, would be perfect for target archers that are traveling trying to take you know their spotting scopes with them to the to the outdoor tournaments um, and you're trying to also stay within your baggage restriction for weight a uh, great option there so there was several things that I liked. Uh, I honestly liked uh, going in the dunk tank at the Easton booth. It was super cold, um, but it was fun being there with uh, Fred Eichler and and also uh, having Bill Winky pop over to dunk me was pretty cool. And congratulations to the few other people that did. Uh, that's awesome. And once again, anyone who came by and saw me, I wish I could remember all of your names, but I'm more of a face type person. So thanks again uh, for coming by and, and giving us your support. So I've got a few questions and answers here today that I've kind of pulled off different random areas, emails, or even people that I've talked with. And um, I want to go through some of those. And one of them, I guess I'm going to jump into my first one here. There should be a few photos um, that I'll probably put uh, to go along with that as well in this uh, in the photo gallery. But this first one comes from Kent, um, and he says he needs some help. Uh, Easton discontinued my arrow of choice, the Pro Hunter, and I've been in search of a new shaft. For 3D, I settled on going back to the ACCs, uh, but for my hunting rig, I was working on the Deep 6 FMJs. Um, the problem is, for his spine selection, um, he's right in between spines of a 330 and a 400 shaft. So he said he bought the 330s and cut them, and he said he just cannot get them to group very well. Um, at the closer distance says he's tried max pro veins and blazer veins Um, they group really good beyond 70 yards he says but at the closer distances um, they just do not group and um, you actually sent a pic of your groups at the closer distances um, and then you sent another picture of 
uh, three-shot groups with both shafts at 100 yards, you're saying. And um, I can tell you that with the grouping that these two arrow shafts are shooting at this 100-yard distance, according to this picture, if I were you, I would just not even worry about close shots and just step back to 100 yards every time you shoot because uh, they're dynamite at that distance. But um, the pictures of the groups that you sent um, at a closer distance where these arrows are actually spread out horizontally, that immediately tells me that you are 100% right in that you're in between spine sizes. Um, anytime your grouping starts to fan out horizontally like that at the closer distances, but then, you know, continues to kind of tighten up the further and further it goes, a lot of times it's just taking that arrow that long to correct itself. Um, you're going to be able to find that out where you need to be by at this point because you've already cut your arrows either you need to add a considerable amount of weight in the front of those shafts maybe as much as 25 grains um, or take away you know go to a 25 grain lighter shaft shoot it at that closer distance and see how it groups the other thing you should consider too um, I'm not sure what arrow rest you're shooting, but because that smaller diameter shaft is giving you that horizontal impact, um, that horizontal variance at the sh shorter distances, but then getting better and better and better the further out it goes, to me that would be a signal that you could also have a clearance issue where you're contacting something and it's taken that arrow that long to kind of get away from its you know, fishtailing and start to correct itself. And it could be because on those smaller diameter shafts, like the deep six, or even, you know, when we shoot target with the really small diameter shafts, um, you have to be very careful on what type of rest you're shooting. You know, that's why like that trophy taker spring steel pro that I talked about earlier, it has a lizard tongue launcher blade, so it allows us to shoot that skinnier shaft and still have clearance and also it is very flexible so it does have forgiveness if there is contact but if you're shooting a solid rest or a fall away that isn't coming down in time then you're going to have problems like you're discussing so this could have been several different things um, i would for sure try working on poundage or you know, increase or decrease your poundage and see if that group gets better or worse. Um, if it gets better, keep going that way. If it gets worse, go the other way. Same with point weight. You can do that too. Um, you're going to probably need at least a minimum of 25 grains to know. If you still are having the same problems, then I'm going to guess that you're probably contacting something and it's causing that arrow to start fishtailing and it's taking that long for that fishtailing to correct itself in order to get your groups uh, back in the middle. So um, all in all, I think you're on the right track. And uh, also, I guess the last thing that I want to say to you, Kent, and this will actually lead in to my next question, which is from Michael. Um, who is asking me, John, is there one shaft 
that if you had to pick, you could shoot field, indoors, 3D, and still be somewhat competitive. And if I had to pick one arrow shaft to shoot every single thing, it would be... Um, and that was shades in the background in case you heard her just start talking back there. But, um, it would be an ACC. I mean, the ACC is my all time favorite all around shaft. If I literally were, uh, had the option of shooting one arrow all year long, no matter what I did, it would be find an ACC that was the right spine and shoot it. So, Kent, if you were upset that they went away from the Pro Hunter, which was just an ACC um, that that had a slightly different inside diameter that would allow an H-knock uh, and an HP insert, just go back to that ACC and stick with it, especially if you're able to shoot those kinds of groups with the ACC. Um, I wouldn't worry about the micro diameter shaft if you're not really having luck with it. The ACC is absolutely a perfect all around shaft and it's the shaft that I shot most of last year. Um, and honestly, I'll probably still shoot it some this year as well. So, uh, next question I'm going to jump into here is from a Tanner. Um, he's saying, uh, my question is on your personal bows. Do you leave the knocking point at 90 degrees and adjust the rest to achieve proper tear up and down? Or do you ever play around with slightly moving your knocking point up or down? So, um, you know, this is, there's two parts to this question. So typically, um, you know, I'm not, Typically, when I'm working on my bows, I'll set my knock at 90 and I'll put my arrow rest at a position that kind of keeps my bottom of my arrow shaft almost right through the center line of my burger buttonhole. And that allows me to have, you know, the arrow far enough away from my hand where if I shoot a broadhead, I'm safe. But it also gives me the option to be able to move my arrow rest up and down, still have good clearance with my veins and so forth, too on my shelf. Um, usually I will set my knock point at 90 degrees with my arrow rest in a position to where the bottom of my arrow shaft is through the center of the burger buttonhole. So before I ever tie my knocks, clip my arrow on the string, I'll adjust my arrow rest up or down to where that arrow is, like I said, the bottom of the shaft through the center of the burger buttonhole. Then I'll slide the knock of my arrow up or down so that I'm at the 90 degree point, which I want to start at. And then I'll go ahead and tie my knocking points on. From there, I'll go outside and shoot. If I feel like I need to adjust, you know, I'll normally shoot through paper first. I'll slightly move my arrow rest up or down to adjust to make sure I'm getting my, my paper tear. Now, if I go outside and I feel like I have to make any up or down adjustments... I will do that on the rest. Now, if the bow feels like it's fighting me, and if I feel like I am grouping good, my arrow flight's good, my my actual knock position is good. However, if I feel like my bow is continually fighting me on up and down movement, 
then what that tells me is a lot of times you might want to slightly play with your tiller adjustment, which ultimately moves your knocking point to a different position. And, you know, I talked about in the past when you draw your bow back, your string forms a triangle. And that pulling point from your string, whether it's where we started or whether it's higher or whether it's lower, that causes a variance in how your bow aims because of where your front hand position is placed on the riser or where the riser was actually designed to have your hand position in the riser. Like, for example, um, you know, some of the older bows, your hand position was always in the center of the riser. Um, then unlike some of the Matthews, your hand position is below the riser or below the center point. So all bows need a slightly different pulling position on the string to have the actual best aiming for your bow on how it bobbles up and down. If you don't feel like you're fighting that, then yeah, stay at 90 and only move your rest. Now, if you feel like you are really struggling with ups and downs as you're trying to aim, then what you might want to do is try moving that pulling position to another place on the string. So at that point, your option is either to take your knocks off, move your arrow rest to where maybe your arrow shaft is at the top of the burger buttonhole, retie your knock sets, remove your peep sight, get your rest, you know, get everything back to 90 degrees. And shoot it again and see if your aiming and your up and down bobbling is better. If it is, then you know that that particular bow is liking your pulling point being slightly above your center position. Whereas on some bows, on some of the older Hoyts, it was better if you were closer towards your hand. So a lot of people ran the bottom of their arrow shaft right at the bottom of their burger buttonhole. So you kind of need to know that position. If you don't want to retie everything and try it, then what you can do is go back to what I was talking about with the tiller tuning. So if you take one or two turns out of your top limb, what will happen is as you relax that limb, it'll lower your knocking point. So you'll actually move your arrow closer down towards the shelf of your uh, riser. At that point, you'll have to lower your arrow rest down, and you'll also have to maybe put a few twists in your string and cable to get your cam timing correct again. Um, but it'll allow you to literally put a few twists in a cable, get your, t your timing back correct, move your arrow rest back down to where you're at 90, but then all of a sudden you'll be shooting with your arrow shaft closer to your hand. If that feels like it's worse, then go ahead and put your turns back into that top limb, but then let turns out of the bottom limb, which will then raise your knocking point up above to where when you bring your rest back to a level position, your arrow shaft should then be higher on the burger button hole, and you can try it there and see how you like it. Now, if you find out that you like one pulling position a lot better than the others, then at that point, I would recommend putting your tillers back to even and then cutting your knock points off 
retying your knock points, keeping your rest in the position where you liked it the best. Um, so the tiller tuning is kind of just a really quick way of seeing if that's better without having to like re retie your peep into a new position or add twist to your string to try to get your peep to come back to the right spot. Um, so it's kind of a quicker way to just test that on whether or not it's good. So, uh, go ahead and work with that. I think you're probably going to like how it performs better. Um, the next question here is, uh, going to be from Jake and, um, Jake saying, I can usually shoot for a while, um, with a strap on his elbow for tennis elbow. Um, he said he's always shot 60 pounds except for the first couple of months, uh, where he started to shoot at 50 to build up his strength. And he said that, um, he can shoot about 130 to 150 arrows in a session, but then starts to wear out in his left arm. Uh, he has to quit for a few hours. Um, let's see. He said he's worried about the long-term effects um, of this. So he, he's kind of wondering, um, is there something I can do to help with my tendonitis um, should I back off on my draw length to see if that will help me shoot longer? Um, honestly, Jake, a lot of this depends on several things. One, yeah, depending on what, you know, if you're pulling more than what you're able to pull, then you can have a problem. The other thing too is, um, if you're not like warming up properly, I mean, if you're, if pulling 60 pounds is, not necessarily a struggle for you, but it's not just super easy, then just even pulling that back without warming up properly and kind of getting some circulation in your elbows and circulation in your shoulders um, could promote that inflammation of your tendonitis. Um, tendonitis is really tough to deal with, and if you're continually trying to shoot a whole bunch with that, you may really struggle for a long period of time because I've had this myself. It takes a really long time to get rid of tendonitis if you're constantly aggravating it. Um, so there's a couple things here. One, I had terrible tendonitis in my left arm and it was from years and years and years of hyperextension. Like as you shoot, your bow jolts forward and some bows have a lot more jolt than others. If you are constantly hyperextending your arm and trying to follow through with your hand forward, that position puts a lot of strain on those on those tendons that you're talking about. Um, there's different types of therapies that can help you do some things that may actually fix you um, and allow you to maybe start over from square one. Uh, one of those is going to be a process called A-STEM. And that's what I was using to really fix my shoulder, but I also used it in years past on my elbows. Um, the other is shiatsu. And both of these processes, if you have a really good shiatsu specialist, and I can tell you, I don't know where you're from, but if you're anywhere close to Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, I go down there 
three times a year to see a guy named Lester Phillips. Um, he's my personal trainer and a little little ninja that can just put you in tears um, with finding all those trouble areas um, through like a shiatsu practice. And but he also is, I mean, the best I've ever seen at being able to break that stuff apart and kind of tear up that scarring and allow you to reheal in a point and that allows more circulation through the joint and it'll start to just heal itself. And I'm not kidding. Um, I struggled holding a jug of milk at 90 degrees with my left arm because I had so much tendonitis. And after a few times having someone dig out that scarring um, where my bicep connects down and also where my forearm muscles connect down and where my tricep connects across. Um, it totally changed my life. So I would recommend not exerting yourself. Um, you know, quality arrows are really more important than quantity, depending on what you're training for. Now, if you're shooting full feet arounds, continually then yeah you're probably going to need to be able to shoot 130 to 150 arrows just to build up your stamina um but if you're also having pain you know there's a point there where you really need to start to think well maybe i need to back off pursue some therapies and work on that um i know that there's some different types of things that you can try applications. Um, Biofreeze was one of them that I used. Um, you can put it in there and really focus on, you know, on those areas that are really painful. Uh, just it, it sucks, but you got to work on really rubbing those and breaking that, that scarring up a little bit and you'll get better in the long run. That A-STEM process is something where they're actually using tools in like a butter where they put like a butter on your skin and they're rubbing these tools across your skin trying to realign your muscle fibers um, which will really reduce that inflammation and a good way to describe that is like you know if you go in the shower and you have long hair and you wash your hair and you come out you know your hair is going to be all twisted up you know girls deal with this all the time but then they have to like brush their hair through so that their hair is actually laying side by side, not you know laying across itself. So that's kind of the same thing in that muscle tissue. Um, that A-stem process actually rakes and almost like pulls and drags those individual fibers to prevent them from overlapping themselves and realigns them. And it just makes a world of difference. Um, so if you can look for that, I don't know what area you're from. Um, I can tell you, um, if you're from the Des Moines, Iowa area, um, there's, there's a lady at the Indianola YMCA that does a STEM. That's just awesome. If you can get in to do that. Otherwise, if you're near Tulsa, Oklahoma, Lester Phillips is my guy down there. So um, either one of those are going to help you if you can get to them for sure. So, um, the next one is from Ryan and he's asking, saying, uh, I love the show. One of my favorites, um, cited when the new podcast come out. My question is 
looking to upgrade my optics and I'm assuming this means on his uh, his actual optics on his sight because he says I'm wondering what the difference between optics with just one pin in the center and the three to four pin options um, also how accurate are the optics um, with the taped yardage marks um, so he's saying uh, he's from the Canadian North so Ryan Lammoth this one's for you buddy so thanks for tuning in way up that way and maybe this will give you something to do I'm sure it's freezing today so um, a lot of people are gravitating towards single pin hunting sites if you have a sight tape printed off that is calibrated correctly for the ballistic drop of your arrow, they're extremely accurate. It's no different than having ballistic dots in a rifle. I mean, if you turn to the number, all you have to do is at aim with one pin, and that's where it's going to go. Essentially, it's what we do in target archery every single day, whether we're shooting field archery, indoor, outdoor, 3d you know we're aiming with most of the time unless you're in the bow hunter class you're aiming with one pin so you can focus on an individual aiming point and you don't have to worry about knowing how high or how low to hold uh, with like pin gaps now in saying that a three to four pin option allows you to not have to adjust your sight at every individual yardage and this is what I personally prefer. I like when I'm hunting, I want to be able to have a 20, 30, 40, and 50, sometimes a 60 pin. And I want to be able to just have those pins so that if I have to judge the distance to an animal real quickly without being able to use my rangefinder, I want to be able to have the comfort if I say, well, I'm pretty sure that animal's 25 yards. I like to be able to pull back and put my 20-yard pin on the animal, but then still still be able to see my 30 and 40 on the animal because it gives you confidence that you know you're at least one of those pins are going to be in the vitals. When you have a single pin, you have to really learn your bow so well to know how the cast of your arrow is, and you have to really learn okay, if I had my sight set on 25, but if the deer moved to 30 without me being able to, to move my individual pin, where do I really need to hold? How high do I need to hold? And it, it gets tough to know if your pin, you know, if your arrow is dropping four yards at 30, you know, if you have a, your pin set at 20, or Say you have your pin set at 40 yards, but the deer goes to 35, and you don't have, you know, you're not able to move and adjust it. All that stuff plays into factor. And if you're, especially if you're hunting deer like during the rut, or if you're hunting big timber, or if you're doing spot and stock, um, sometimes you're just not able to make those adjustments. Now, if you're if you're kind of hunting like in a canned hunt type situation where you're just hunting over bait or you're hunting a food plot and you're in a position where you know the animals are going to come out, they're going to be relaxed, you're going to be able to range them, then it would work totally fine. Um, you wouldn't have any problem whatsoever. You know, I look at when I went out to Montana, um, I went out there and I was 
mule deer hunting and I was elk hunting, you know, the way my elk came running in, I would have never had time to move a site and make a shot with 100% confidence. I had to just pull back that elk came running in. I literally judged the distance to my elk while I was at full draw and made my shot. Now, with my mule deer, two days later, that deer came out and was feeding on alfalfa, and, you know, I had all the time in the world to range him, move my pins, do whatever I wanted. But I like to have the option to be able to just pull back and shoot if I need to. That's why I like having multiple pins, but also be able to adjust those multiple pins up and down so I can still shoot longer distances. So I shoot a Sherlock lethal weapon or the Sherlock slider, which is either a four or five pin sight. And it the whole thing moves up or down. So what I do is I always center my peep and the outside ring of my housing. Every time I pull back, I always just center my housing and my peep. I'll use whichever pin I need if I'm shooting 20 to 50 yards. Anything over that, I will slide my my whole housing up or down. And, well, normally down, obviously. And what I'll do is I'll use my bottom pin in that four-pin group. So um, whether I'm shooting 60 or 130 yards, I'm always using my bottom pin I'm moving the whole housing down, but I'm always just centering my peep and my housing. That's how I personally like to shoot. Some people like to center their individual pins in their peep, and I just find that to be pretty inconsistent. I like to center the housing, make a perfect eclipse, use my bottom pin, and be able to put it on the target. So hopefully that helps you out, Ryan. I appreciate you listening once again. Uh, Next question here is going to be from Bryce. Says right now I'm shooting 54 pound draw length, 29 inches, or a 29 inch uh, arrow is recommended, and in a 400 spine. And he's saying would dropping to a 330 spine hurt anything other than speed? Um, here's the thing: if you're gonna, if you're ever in a in between arrow shafts, whether you know if you're kind of on the border of a 400 or 330, I've personally found that a stiffer shaft is going to be less likely to cause you problems than having a shaft that's not the correct spine. So a weaker shaft typically is tougher to group than a stiffer one. Um, you anytime you go to a a stiffer spine arrow it's going to mean that the that the actual thickness of the arrow is greater which is you know why the spine is heavier Um, and in that case if the thickness is heavier obviously you're going to have more weight so yes it will be a heavier arrow it will slow the bow down a little bit but in the end if that's the arrow that's giving you the best grouping then that's really going to be what matters Um, in a way Bryce you can kind of tie this specific question into the one that I first answered earlier with Kent when he was talking about you know he had two different arrow spines one was grouping better than the other Um, I wouldn't have a problem going to the 330 especially if you're shooting 
54 pounds um, it will give you the option to increase your poundage a little bit more if you so chose so um, I think you'll be fine and really the speed loss normally between those spine sizes is fairly minimal um, next question here is from Eric uh, he's asking do you prefer the AAE Max Hunter or the AAE Pro Max Pro Max Hunter uh, for fixed blade broadheads and he says that he uses a four blade one inch cut um, I'm pretty sure you will really like the Pro Max Hunter if you're going to shoot a four fletch now if you're going to shoot a three fletch you might want to have the higher profile of the original Max Hunter but if you're going to try a four inch or I'm sorry a four fletch then that Pro Max has been really an awesome setup for me um certain fixed blade heads it will not steer and you know that's just you know it's a fairly small vein uh it, now if you're shooting a short compact head like you're seeing you're shooting a four blade one inch head if it's a good quality head um then i'm pretty sure you're going to be able to get it to work but you also are going to need to make sure that you have an arrow spine that's matched properly and also you're going to want to have an arrow that's probably got an foc a front of center at least 10 um you know any 10 or higher is going to be preferable i think if you got much lower than that you may struggle um the last question i'm going to do here today starting to run out of time is going to be from tj i'm um, saying john just wondering um if I want to French tune my bow and then want to tune for broadheads. Will French tuning be a waste of time if I'm going to rest tune for broadheads? Um, says he's recently shooting a Matthews Halon, 27 inch, 70 pounds. Um, and he said it's paper tuned from the pro shop, but he wants to tune it for fixed blade broadheads. Um, has... Uh, says he's got a site that he can shoot out to 100 yards uh, but again uh, he's asking if it's tuned right now should he french tune for broadheads um, or should he well he's i guess to me tj this question's a little bit confusing because tuning for broadheads by moving your rest essentially it is french tuning the difference is you're if you're not doing it in the right order then i guess it would not be considered french tuning but the french tuning method um, or walk back tuning are both the same thing um, it's more or less adjusting your arrow rest to where your shooting line is always hitting the same from a left to right plane so here's how this would go and I can tell you that a bow that shoots perfect bullet holes and is tuned perfectly through paper may not and probably will not shoot just like that with a fixed blade broadhead. There's so many factors that go in there. I mean it's like we'd be here all day if I told you how many went in but if you have a perfectly matched spine, if you have a good quality broadhead that's known for flying well, and you have a good vein configuration that's going to allow that to happen, then at that point what you're going to do is 
first I would shoot, you know, at a short distance, say 15 yards, 20 yards, shoot and sight in to where you're hitting perfectly dead center in the, in the, in the center of the dot and then go out to like 50 or 60 yards with no wind, make sure you're on level ground and shoot and see where it is that you're shooting left to right. If your arrows are all grouping way off to the right, then yes, you're going to have to move your rest to the left in order to try to bring those arrows back. And again, that's factoring in that you do have the perfect spine match for your setup. Um, Now, the French tuning method allows you to kind of do that same exact thing, only you're actually taking one variable out of that mix. And the variable that you're taking out is the fact that your sight pins are perfectly aligned and that they're not off kilter left or right. So for the French tuning method, what you would do is you would go to like three yards and you're going to normally that's going to be about your 50 yard sight pin. So you'll shoot and you'll adjust your sight so that you're hitting dead center with your 50 yard pin at about three yards. Then you're going to leave your leave your sight exactly where it is and you're going to just go and shoot groups at 50 yards hang a string or make a vertical perfectly vertical tape i like to hang a string cuz you know gravity is going to pull it perfectly center and then put a dot at the top of that string that you're aiming at and see where your arrows are hitting left to right if you're hitting on the same vertical line um, and horizontal line, if you're still hitting somewhere on that string that you hung up and down, then you really don't have to adjust your arrow rest left or right at all. Now, if, again, if you're grouping off to the right, and again, you're using the exact same pin, so you know that you don't have the factor of your pin housing being tilted or your bubble being off, you've kind of taken those factors out. Um, you're using the same exact pin at that farther distance as you did at the closer distance and if you're grouping off to the right then yes you're going to have to move your your rest to the left um, if you're grouping to the left you're going to have to move your rest to the right so um, paper tuning and broadhead tuning are two different things and yes there's going to most likely be times where you're going to have to to choose one or the other but Broadhead tuning is essentially walk-back tuning or French tuning, but you do need to make sure that before you're tuning with your broadheads, you need to make absolutely sure that your field points are shooting and grouping absolutely dynamite. Um, Because if you can't get field points to shoot perfect left to right groups and perfect up and down groups then there's a good chance your arrow spine is slightly mismatched to your bow and from that aspect as soon as you put a broadhead on there it's going to just totally go the other direction fast so hopefully that helps you out tj again thanks everybody for listening please make sure that you share last week 
Um, we had several shares from the podcast, and that really, really helps, guys. Can't tell you how much it helps. Um, we'll have some new knock-on apparel coming soon. All-new shooter shirt is in the pipeline. That's going to be pretty exciting. And uh, also, this week, all-new episode on knock-on TV. Make sure you tune in, and uh, make sure when people like Hoyt or Under Armour or Sportsman's Channel uh, make a post about something that's knock on TV. Make sure you guys make a comment. Let them know that you appreciate the support to me because it makes a huge difference in me being able to do this for all of you. So thanks, everybody, and uh, have a good weekend. It's coming up soon enough. Talk to you later. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.